Welcome back to the Wealth Actually podcast, the show that features artists, entrepreneurs, experts, and commentators that will give you the right knowledge, planning, and guidance so you can preserve your assets and enjoy your wealth. Learn more and subscribe today at wealthactually.com. And now, here's your host, Fraser Rice. Welcome back to the Wealth Actually podcast. I'm Fraser Rice. Today, I'm going to speak with former NFL lineman Marcus Ogden. Marcus has parlayed his football experience and lessons learned in the rise and fall of his construction company into a growing public speaking and media career. We talk about his background, his playing days, and his unique career path. But what we really focus on are the perils of success, the importance of teamwork and delegation, and the power of persistence. Welcome aboard, Marcus. Thanks a lot, Fraser. How are you doing today, sir? Oh, I am doing fine. It's a little bit of playing while injured. I've got a chest cold. I tested negative for COVID a couple of days ago, so that's good. But my voice may be a couple of octaves deeper than normal for listeners who are consistent with this. That's all right, man. Hey, you sound good, and I'm glad you're doing all right. I'm glad you don't have COVID. Yeah, (laughs) thank you. Let's start with a couple of things. You were a former NFL player. That in itself is an experience that a lot of people can't really get their arms around. Dealing with people who are bigger, faster, stronger, the competitiveness is something that may translate to other industries, but it's a different animal. And you're talking about being in the 0.01% of athletes that make it to that level. Tell us a little bit about your background and football background, academic background, et cetera, that helped get you to that rarefied air. So I went to St. John's College High School, the same high school that Kevin Plank, who owns Under Armour, went to. Graduated. I got one football scholarship offered to college, Howard University, where my father went to play for the Bison. I was only about 15 minutes away from this, so I went to college right close to home, and I redshirted my first year, and I ended up starting as a redshirt freshman offensive tackle, and had a great experience at Howard. Four-year starter, I was a uh, three-time All-Conference, two-time All-American, and it was just phenomenal. But for me, right, Fraser, I never expected to be an NFL athlete. I went to Howard to be an investment banker. I went to work on Wall Street. I actually interned at Merrill Lynch in Washington, D.C. My boss, Al Cobran, had working in the blue chips and stocks division for him. Loved it. I was also to go to New York and work on Wall Street and follow my father who worked in the finance business himself for 30 years. And then the NFL said, hey, Marcus, you know, how's everything coming along? And you're a pretty good football player, son. So have a great senior year, which I did. And let's talk about me being in the NFL. And so I went to a couple, I went to a bowl game, the Hula Bowl, had a great week of practice, great game. My coach actually was Mac Brown who's now at Chapel Hill. He was at Texas at the time with the Longhorns. So had a chance to be coached by Mac Brown. My O-line coach was Jack Harbaugh, father of Jim and John Harbaugh. Had a great experience, loved it. And with hard work, dedication, and perseverance, I was drafted by the Jacksonville Jaguars in the 2003 NFL Draft. Well, and, and Jacksonville has a good tradition of offensive linemen there. Tony Baselli, I think he made it to the Hall of Fame, I think. Correct, correct. And you had a brother or have a brother who, Jonathan, who's a superstar in his own right as well. How did that relate? Is he younger or older? He's older. So he's seven years older. I'm 41 and he'll be 48 in actually at the end of this month, July 31st. I'm always amazed at the NFL and the depth of their scouting. They find everybody who probably can play in the NFL. Now, whether you got the opportunity once you're there is sort of a different thing in a team situation. You had the scouting experience. You get drafted. You land in the Jacksonville Jaguars system. How did that work for you? 
It was great. Jack Doria was a phenomenal coach. Got to play for Paul Boudreau was my line coach. Anthony Lynn, who was now the assistant head coach with the San Francisco 49ers, was our running back coach. So I, mean, I was around Bill Musgrave, who played with coaching for the Cowboys for many years. Played with some great guys, man. Fred Taylor, Marcus Stroud, John Henderson, Maurice Williams, Mike Pearson, Mike Peterson. Mark Brunel, Byron Leftwich, Rasheen Mathis. Jacksonville was great. I mean, it really was. Great area, great fans, great town. And it really fit me well as a young 22-year-old. I was far, I was still on the East Coast. I was far enough away from home where I had to fend for myself, learn how to take care of things, budgeting, how to take care of paying my bills. I had never paid a bill then. So I never had a checkbook. I never opened a bank account. I mean, I, I did, but it was like small. So I learned a lot of great things from Jacksonville. One of my one of our big gentlemen who worked for us was named Bahati Van Pelt. And Bahati was really helping us with like player engagement. And Bahati actually went on to work for the NFL Trust. And he actually went to go and work for the Olympics now. So just great people. I mean, I love the Jaguars. Loved my time there. Great coaching staff. Great community. Great teammates. And I still have a lot of guys that I talk to to this day that were uh, my Jaguar teammates. I'm going to nerd out a little bit on the football front. Who were your toughest matchups when you got into games? Oh, for God. I mean, Kevin Williams, who was the first round draft pick in my class out of, out of Oklahoma State. Albert Hainsworth, who was 360 pounds of pure force and just a great first step off the ball. I played against guys like Sam Adams. I played against guys like Terrell Suggs. I played against guys like Tony Brackens and just all these phenomenal football players. And what I learned is that if you're going to come and compete in anything you do, if you don't bring your best, you're going to have a bad day. You don't have to always be the best, but you have to always bring your best. If you don't bring your best in the National Football League, you will not have a job for long because people are not going to always have as much talent as somebody else as a teammate, things like that. But your talent is not going to really frame your effort. It's not going to frame your drive. And so you have to really put yourself in a position where you're going to just be and do your best every single day. You're measured in production ultimately. And so if you're getting beaten off the ball every snap, they're going to say, well, you know, the, you can't, we can't have you in there if our quarterback's getting drilled in the back every down. Right. How do you bring it every day in such a physical situation? I guess I've always heard that in the NFL, everybody's nicked up a little bit and you have to kind of play through pain. You have to play through, you have to know the difference between pain and injuries. And at the same time, you're cognizant that your job's on the line almost every practice. How do you mentally gird yourself for that? You just have to have the mindset and you have to really focus and be present in the moment. You can't worry about what happened the day before. You can't think about what's going to happen tomorrow. Focus and be really present in the moment and take every play one play at a time. Do your job. Execute what you have to do because that's all you can control. Right? If you worry about, well, that guy's getting more reps than me and this is happening here and this happened here, then what happens when you get your rep, you're going to make mistakes because you're focused on what's going on around you versus saying, hey, I get my reps. I get five reps today, I should hope to win five out of five. Boom, 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 boom. That's what you got to do. You got to be present in the moment. Otherwise, you risk being in a situation where what happens? You're not actually doing your best because you're worried about what happened before, think about what's happening around you, things you can't control. And then from there, all hell breaks loose. What's the biggest misconception that people have about the NFL? That it's just a physical game. There is more mental with the playbook. 
calls, adjustments, reading defenses. That's how Tom Brady has been so great for so long. He understands the game. He's a mental champion. Is Tom Brady the most physical, gifted athlete? Absolutely not. Is he the best quarterback ever to play the game? Who else is better? Nobody. Don't tell me Joe Montana. Love him, but no. Don't tell me Brett Favre. Love him, but no. As a quarterback, you're judged by Super Bowl rings. Plain and simple. And he has the most of anybody. Yes, he's played longer, but he has had more wins. He's had more playoff wins. Why? Because he understands the game. And that's what people screw it up. It's not just a physical game. If you don't have mental capacity as a football player, you will not have a job for long. How long was your career in the NFL and, and other leagues? Almost six years. Then I played like other things, arena, stuff like that after for fun and just to keep myself active. But the NFL was almost six years. So as you're coming to the end of your NFL career and you know, the, probably a big decision-making process as far as whether you can keep doing it, whether the NFL wants you, you have your agent out there kind of thinking about different things. Take us through your mindset as you were going through that decision-making process. When I got released from the Titans after I hurt my back, it just came down to I knew physically I couldn't give the game what I used to when I was 22, 23, 24 years of age. And I had to move on. Was it hard? Yes, absolutely. But every athlete knows in your heart of hearts when your time is up. And you don't want to face it. You don't want to face reality. I know I sure didn't. But you still got to be real. And that's what I did. I was real. I had this happen and this happen. I just couldn't give. I couldn't be my best every play anymore. And I didn't want to go out there and get myself hurt or somebody else around me hurt. And I walked away. And then I said, what am I do with my life? I have no idea. For six months, I was addicted to alcohol, painkillers, nightlife, gambling, all that because I had no structure. I had no path. And finally, I got my construction company started in 2008. And I grew one of the largest, most successful construction companies as a minority subcontractor in the area of site work and utilities in Baltimore City. We became actually the largest African-American in those scopes for two years. So you settled, uh, you sort of focused on the construction industry, and then you went essentially back home where you had some contacts and knew the area, I guess, right? Correct. So take us through those two years of, of growing that construction business and the challenges that that posed. Well, we just grew rapidly. And when my mentor went out of business and I ended up getting in my really good spot and things were happening in a really good way, things just started to take off. And we started doing, we started out in concrete, then we went to demolition, then we went to earthwork, then we went to utilities, and we went to pavers, and we just added, 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 added. And then our reputation grew. We were able to bond jobs, and we had a bank line, and we had our own equipment. And so, we just grew and had a ton of success. But unfortunately, as the company grew, right, Fraser? My ego grew. And I tell everybody, when your ego gets bigger than the good part of your soul, confidence, proud of yourself, when that happens with your ego, you're done. You're done. And, that, and that's happened to me. What form did that take? So you got a lot of confidence. You came from the NFL. That gives you some, a different type, kind of confidence too. Your business is taking off. You say your ego gets in the way. What did that look like? And what problems did that cause? The ego got in the way when I stopped taking advice from my trusted team members that I was paying a payroll to. And I felt I was the best of the best. 
You couldn't tell me anything. I, I could do no wrong. I was like, me, me, me in the paper. Marcus, 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 King of Baltimore. Da, 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 da. This it was all about me, 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 me. And then what happened is my team started to take on my demeanor. And my good people said, screw this, I'm out. They left. And then that, I took a job where I spent about close to $3 million of my money over budget. And I had an ego that the company that I was working for is going to take care of me. They were going to pay me. They were going to love me. Yeah. Did the work they asked me to do. They screwed me. They didn't pay me, which was all my fault. At the time, I was like, oh, you guys took advantage of me, which they did. But in business, it's not personal. Anybody that's to you, if you own a business, dot your I's, cross your T's on every specific single job. Because that's what happened to me. A client that I worked for, trusted, took advantage of me, and they said, do this work, Marcus, we'll get you paid. Did all the work, spent all my money, they didn't pay me, bankrupt, broke, out of business. So you hit a real rock bottom there. What form did that take? What did you do when you looked at yourself in the mirror and said, okay, I, I had a really high high on this front, but then it's come crashing down. What did you do to pull up? So I ended up losing everything in 2013, home, cars, everything. Both my cars were repossessed, not in the same month, not the same week, in the same damn day. And I moved down here to Raleigh, had $400 to my name. The NFL gave me the Gene Upshaw Trust Fund grant to pay my bills, so I didn't go homeless, thank God. They helped me get a job with Merrill Lynch in Durham. Great opportunity. But again, my ego got in the way. I said, oh, I'm going to pass this test. I have a finance. This is going to be easy. I'm out there starting trying to network and meet people, right? Boom, I'm fired. I'm failing my practice test. Oops, you're gone, which is all my fault. Went to a construction company the next day. There for five days. Bam, fire. And again, that was my fault because I didn't get a signed contract from that individual. I took him as where you think I would have learned, but I sure hell didn't. So then I ended up working, doing an entrepreneurial. I coached kids football. I was a birthday clown. I had birthday parties with kids playing football. I ran a seven-on-seven camp. And then I took a job as a custodian working for $8.25 per hour. Our signature keynote that we get hired most for, Fraser, the ego mistake from eight figures to $8.25 per hour. It's our story of perseverance, overcoming. And again, the ego mistake took me right down to the depths of hell. And I ended up working as a custodian for $8.25 an hour. And I had my rock bottom moment of clarity where somebody's rotten meat, nasty protruding garbage covered my body, my skin, and my clothes. And that was my wake up call. Went home and said, what do I do well? I'm a good speaker. I'm a good communicator. I'm a good storyteller. And that's when I said, let's go ahead and start keynote speaking. So you're building this good speaking engagement business, coaching, et cetera. Who were your first clients to help get that off the ground? So I started September 2013. I didn't get a paid job for two and a half years. Everything was free. Boys and Girls Club, Rotary, Pop Warner Football, Middle School Football, High School Football, Not-for-Profits. My first non-paid corporate job was NetApp a Fortune 500 brand that's in the data software engineer business. They gave me an opportunity in Chicago. Nothing was paid. Got my first paid job from Miller Mott College, their 100th commencement graduation keynote speaker. They paid me $1,500. Still, I was just floundering as a speaker, inconsistent, jobs here, jobs there. 
2018, I went to a program that changed my life, NAPSA, through the NFL, PA, and Player Care Foundation at Penn State. My coach and mentor, Brad Mitchell, taught me how to use my past life experiences, football, business failure, et cetera, to become a speaker. I also met one of my mentors, Miss Mel Robbins, a phenomenal speaker that next month, March at her studio in Boston. And from there, I learned the business. I stopped thinking about just being a football player. I learned how to craft messages and bring unique selling proposition value and how to really help people solve their problems and all that. So in the last six years, since I got my first paid speaking job, April, 2016, we've worked for 40 Fortune 500 companies as a speaker, 40, 15 Fortune 100, six Fortune 25, predominantly financial planning or finance and insurance. Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan and Chase, Equitable, New York Life, MetLife, Living Mutual Insurance, Mutual of Omaha. Let's go down the list. Carson Wealth Management. We've learned how to craft our unique story into what we call our signature keynotes, which is allowing us to now move into that space. When you're talking to these different organizations and got a speech and you've probably got some input as to what they want you to address and the different types of problems that might resonate with the audience, when you're talking to these different folks, what are the consistent themes that you see resonate and the problems that these larger organizations face that they want you to address? A lot of times it's around just culture enhancement, how to work together as a team. We're getting hired a lot for that. We're working for a big company in September and we're delivering a keynote, one of our signature keynotes titled Recycling versus Trashing Company Culture. Because a lot of times when things happen, people working from home, here, new hires, all that, people need to learn how to recycle and build the new culture versus trashing. So our signature keynotes really have helped us to set ourselves apart from others because they say, well, I could be called leadership. Well, our leadership talk is now titled self-absorption causes self-destruction. So it talks about how I got so self-absorbed as an entrepreneur and a successful business owner, and I lost it all. We have a professional development talk called At 32. What I wish I would have told my 32-year-old self, how to be humble, how to be appreciative, how to have good professional development, how to network, how to treat people. Because once I lost that in my mind, 32, I lost everything in my business and I had to start completely over. So a lot of times right now, what we're seeing is around the culture aspect, like how to reinvigorate, how to really refresh, if you want to hit the button on the computer screen, the culture where everybody can work together towards a common theme. One of the things I'm hearing as you're speaking is you've had a couple of major successes, the NFL, your construction business, and now you're building the success with the speaking group. And you've got some very interesting experiences related to avoiding pitfalls as you're making that drive up the, the entrepreneurial ladder or the success ladder. Are you doing individual coaching with executives yet? Because I would think that would be a major, not only a major source of clients for you, but also an area where your experience really resonates. Oh, I coach a lot of people. 
entrepreneurs, business owners, people that are financial advisors, people that want to be speakers, people that are trying to raise up the corporate ladder, people that are struggling with sales, people that are struggling with how to connect with people, how to... Aristotle said there's five keys to succeeding at sales. Character, emotion, reason, metaphors, conciseness. So a lot of people hire me, right, Fraser? to help them with these type of things. So yes, we are very blessed to have a very robust one-on-one coaching business. And now we're starting to really start wrapping up for more consulting for companies coming in to help with their leadership team, helping with their sales team or marketing team, depending upon what the issue is. And we kind of step in to help resolve that issue. The ups and downs related to ego combined with your different experiences, probably give you a lot of unique insight into teamwork and really that NFL component as well. What are the mistakes that you see in entrepreneurial situations or small to medium-sized businesses related to teamwork? People are not being active listeners. They're listening to respond versus listening to understand. And people, when you're trying to listen to respond, you're not actually listening. You're formulating your response while Smiles is talking. If you are not an active listener, or you don't have great active listening in your culture, in businesses, it is doomed to fail. That's why our construction company failed because I stopped being an active listener. Today with our new brand, when my team is talking, I don't, I'm not thinking about what I'm going to say. I'm fully engaged in what they're saying. Because that's how you build. That's how you create a team where people know what they're saying is being heard. So a lot of people struggle, Fraser, with active listening because people are so quick to want to talk, but they're not as quick to want to what? Sit back and listen. What lessons did you learn about delegation? Were, were you the type of person that had trouble giving up control of certain tasks? And what lessons did you learn and how did you get past that? I used to be a control freak. Somebody asked me this question on a podcast, alpha male, good or bad? And I said bad because an alpha male in business does not know how to let go of things and trust people. The human mind is designed to do a lot of things, right, Fraser? But it's not designed to do everything. And you only have 24 hours in a day. And you got to sleep some, some hours, right? It's been spending some hours, right? You can't do everything yourself. So an alpha male, somebody that doesn't know how to delegate, he's somebody that's never going to reach full potential. And I have an amazing team now. And it took a long time to build, years to build this team. And now I delegate things to somebody. Somebody tells me what to post on social media, gives the caption for me, what time. They tell me they create the decks for me, my speaker sheet, my coaching sheet, website edits, content. I mean, one of my team members helped us get our new podcast. That's in a, again ranked top 100 in the sports category for all Apple sports podcasts. We're in the top 100 in a day. We got there last week and we're like number 76 out of all the, how many podcasts on Apple in the sports category? A ton, but we're in the top 100 in a day. And my team member helped us by saying, okay, Marcus, you're having trouble with your Apple. Let's use my Apple. Let's upload the RSS feed. Boom, we're on Apple. See what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. That's the delegation that has to happen in business. 
Oh, and it's something that I struggle with. I mean, probably something that I really struggle with is that I get interested in lots of things and sort of a close cousin to not being able to say no, but I'm very curious about a lot of things and end up going down a lot of rabbit holes. And sometimes that takes away from the focus I need to have on certain things. How do you deal with that when when people have this engine of curiosity, which is both powerful, but can also be a bit of an anchor? You have to prioritize what's important to you. If you get too distracted by too many shiny objects, what matters most won't get done. Like me doing the podcast, gotta go make a quick little stuff and we're done. I got an 11 o'clock, you know, coaching call. I've got this coming up after. I've got, you know, coaching slides, you know, all this stuff. Like, like yesterday, I had something coming from my client about wanting me to get paid. So what did I do? I'm on a coaching call, finish the coaching call. Cause I'm, I'm setting my new office, went to go get something printed off, came back, did my podcast. Finished my podcast, finished my coaching call, filled out my information, ran back to where I need to do it. I scanned an email to them. They've got it. They're going to process my invoice and get me paid shortly and pick up my daughter. Came back home, finished up my stuff, things I need to get done, sent to my team. This is this. Boom. Problem is, if you're trying to do too much, nothing gets done. So focus and create what is priority and then execute from there. What are your ambitions for this business in the next few years? What's success going to look like? Growing it to the point where we have a lot of online systems, online products, people that can have access to us to get what they need at a price they can afford. They can't afford our high-ticket coaching, our high-ticket speaking or consulting, but also is to grow our new podcast. I had an old podcast, 11 Market Show. That's no more. I'm now doing well, it's still there, but I'm not involved. And now I have a really, I have a new podcast called Get Authentic with Marcus. And that is really exciting. Our team is just so grateful for all the support. We have 67 or we have like almost 70 out of 75 star ratings from people in less than a week. We have a bunch of amazing reviews and people are loving it. They're loving the content. They're loving the diversity of guests. We want to grow that podcast. Because you can also monetize a podcast. We did it with my last one. I'm doing it with this one now. But the more we can get out and help more people and have more amazing guests and have more things happening, the more we're able to help more people, people want to then what? Sponsor and work with our brand for our show. So that's our next, our long-term focus, right? More online products and then growing our podcast to that next level and keep going up and up and up. And we can do it now without the pressure of having to work with other people. So this way it can be done in its own time frame, in its own right. Well, I'll be watching with great interest. What is the best way for listeners to find you? Got your podcasts and websites. Uh, give us your information. Sure. They can go to our website, www.marcusmarquesogden.com. They can also shoot me an email, marcus at marcusogden.com. Get in touch with us. I mean, we love talking to people. We're all about connecting. We're all about community and just engage us. We love to speak with you and see if we can help you get to where you want to go and turn your objectives into accomplishments. This information I'll have in the show notes and so people can see it on the website so people will be able to get to you on that front. I'm going to leave you with this question to get back to my NFL nerddom here. On the playing field in the NFL, what was the most unbelievable performance that you saw up close? Ray Lewis, without a doubt. He was deemed 
not going to be a great NFL player, too small, no sideline-to-sideline speed, not a great person taking on points of attack, blockers and fullbacks and linemen. Everything they said about Ray Lewis was deemed to make him fail. And that's how they made, the media made him out to be. 17 years later, with the same football team as a middle linebacker in the NFL, best middle linebacker, if not the one-up, without a doubt, in the game's history. Ray Lewis was the epitome of hard work, sacrifice, and dedication. That's what I bring to my business today. And I play with him as a teammate. And uh, he's a great guy. And without a doubt, he was the best thing I ever saw on the football field. Terrific. Marcus, thanks for being on. Appreciate it, Fraser. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Wealth Actually, hosted by Fraser Rice, author of the book Wealth Actually and a leading private wealth manager. Head on over to wealthactually.com where you can subscribe to this podcast, get your own copy of the Wealth Actually book, and connect with Fraser directly. We'll see you next time on Wealth Actually. Wealth Actually.